0: We are so honored to be here. Wow! This is cool. I've preached in this building before, I just wasn't here. (laughs) I I did so many Zoom meetings last year, I was telling somebody, I got invited to speak at a church uh, in Oklahoma somewhere, and and I thought, oh, it's a small church, and so I get up and I threw a t-shirt on. I won't tell you what else I was wearing, but I, I sat down behind my desk and I set up the camera and I just looked out and I, I thought, okay, here comes the live stream. I figured it'd be a small gathering of people. This'll be fun. And all of a sudden I'm looking out at a mega church. And I said to the pastor, I've only got I've only got one question. How big is my head right now? And he goes, about 20 feet tall. And I thought, man, I didn't even shave today. I hope this isn't in 4K. It's like, oh man. People are hungry for God, though. I mean, look at this room tonight. This is crazy. People are hungry for God. You guys are actually willing to risk life and limb to come together for the, for the Lord. I'm I just saying. You know, here's 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 what I want to do tonight. If you came in this room tonight and you have you have anything physically wrong with you, usually people do this at the end, but I want to do this right from the start. Physically, if you have anything going on, I'm talking about cancer, diabetes, asthma tumors, something that's causing you a physical issue, would you just right where you are just stand up? Okay, just stand up. I just felt like standing over here tonight, I felt like the Lord wanted to release healing over this room tonight. and Coming from this end all the way over here. So if you're standing, would you just put your hands up? If you're surrounding them, just reach out your hands toward them right now. Holy Spirit, I just honor what you've been speaking to my heart all evening tonight, and that is you want to release the shalom of heaven over every person in this room who needs a touch. So God, right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I just speak a regenerating wave of healing to be released into this room that would just go from one side to the other. I feel like it's like a wave pool. some going back and forth in this room. Right now, where you're standing, try to do something that you couldn't do before. And if you had a tumor or something that was noticeable, something you can tell that it's there or whether it's gone, check and see if it's gone. Holy Spirit, we just thank you right now. That like you're coming like fire and coming like rain to bring healing and wholeness into this room so that no disease, no virus can stay. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. If you're experiencing breakthrough right now in your body and you can tell right now, just raise your hand, just right where you are. Wow, one, two. Come on, let's just celebrate what the Lord's doing in this room right now. Come on, Jesus. Okay, okay, go ahead and have a seat. For, every, for everybody else in the room, you stood tonight in faith. What you did is you received a seed planted into the soil of your heart. Some seeds come up just like that and some seeds will take time. I was sitting next to a dear friend at a conference one time and he'd been in a motorcycle accident 20 years earlier, walked with a cane and a limp all the days of his life. It seemed it just like his whole life was just gonna be wrapped around this accident and this injury. And a word of the Lord came out from the person who was speaking, and they released a word of knowledge specifically over that injury without knowing him. He laid his hands on it, received that healing. In that moment, nothing happened. Nothing happened. That was on a Friday night. The following Wednesday, for whatever reason, the following Wednesday, he woke up in the morning, put his foot on the floor, and stood up for the first time in 20 years without pain. All right? <laughs> So every person that stood up tonight received by faith, received by faith the seed that was planted into the soil of your heart tonight. I'm just going to pray that God and you together will cultivate and water that seed. And we're going to expect that we have 100% miracles, every person that stood tonight. And I just believe this is going to be the beginning of something for, for you physically tonight. So I just felt really, really led to do that this evening. Uh, Tracy and I have a, a few resources out there, and uh, uh, I'm not going to hold them up or anything. Let me just tell you really, really quick about them. One is a book called Reckless Grace, and it's a book I actually wrote 10 years ago, but wasn't released until like a, a couple of years ago. And it's a book based upon a verse in the Bible that makes no sense, where Jesus raises from the dead, breathes on the disciples. He only ever does that twice, by the way. Only twice in the Bible does God breathe on man at creation and then after the resurrection. He breathes on the disciples and he says this phrase, receive the Holy Spirit. And whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. And whoever sins you retain, they are retained. What? And I looked at that verse one day and I felt like the Lord said, pay really close attention to this verse. There's a key to partnering with me to release my grace in a way that actually will set people from chains of bondage, free from chains of bondage. What if the grace you gave away actually mattered? You're not the source of grace. He's the source. But when you partner with God as a resource of grace, you can release a sound that releases people from chains of bondage and sin. That's what that book is all about. So if you know somebody or you're walking in any kind of uh, issues or you know somebody who's walking in chains and you want to see them free, that will give you some practical tools on seeing that happen. There's another book that we've got called The Four People You Marry. Weird title, I know. It's not about polygamy. It's not about polyamory. It Actually, the first week we released it, it went up to 200, the top 200 on Amazon, and I was a little freaked out. Until I realized, oh, I didn't, I didn't like make that disclaimer in the title. A lot of people were buying it had no idea what they were getting. So <laughs> they thought they were getting something completely different and they end up getting the gospel. So I was kind of happy about that. <laughs> so. <laughs> so the four people you marry are this. They're the person you think they are, the person they think they are, the person they are right now, and the person they are becoming. Problems will arise in marriage when you fall in love with one or two out of the four. When the other ones show up, and I promise you they will, you can find yourself saying things like, I didn't sign up for this, or waking up next to your spouse going, who in the world are you? And so this will actually help to bulletproof your marriage in a lot of ways. So Tracy and I have been married 30 years this year. Yeah. I met her, you'll, you'll, meet, you'll hear from her tomorrow, but I, I met her when I was five years old. She was my next door neighbor. And then we got married like a short time after that because it, it's Texas, you know, it's what you do. Actually, seriously, we were, we were married so young when the minister said, you may kiss the bride. I was like, gross, bad joke. I always get in trouble whenever I say that. So it's not true at all, so anyway. Um, there's a lot of other resources back there. I'll mention some of those tomorrow night, some USB thumb drive teachings that are hours and hours long on identity, spiritual warfare, the book of Revelation, all kinds of cool stuff. So that's all back there. I want to take you guys on a journey tonight. Uh, I was praying about what to release. There's, there's been, a, there's been a, uh, a question in my heart and in my mind in the last year. Uh, Because something happened to us in 2020 that was most remarkable. Uh, The idol of our certainty came crashing down. In America, we have made an idol out of certainty. And that is we have our life so planned out into the future that it's really impossible for us to let God come in and shift our steps Where if God came in and wanted to interrupt our agenda, we would hold his word up next to our plans. And more than likely, we would say no. Because it's the certainty of our plans that makes us feel responsible. Makes us feel like like we're responsible people. And I'm not saying we're not supposed to make plans, but the word of the Lord always gets the final say in what we do. And, And in this last year, our certainty has been completely dismantled. I've never in my life known a time, especially in the United States of America, where more people are more uncertain, and yet what that does for us is it puts us in a place where if God said, I want to interrupt your day and I want to move your steps, we don't have any, any reason to say no. We have more people now with the ability to say yes than ever before. I'm looking around at a world right now that has opened its doors in a way that we've never seen. I've actually never articulated this in public before, a little bit before tonight. So I'm gonna try something this evening that's been stirring in my heart just as we begin this. Have you noticed the help wanted signs everywhere? There's a labor shortage in the United States. I'm wondering if there's a Christian shortage in the United States. Because here's what I'm wondering, what would happen if every believer in Jesus who has the time to give some hours to their community saw a help wanted sign and suddenly the motivation for working in your community was not so much making money, but being a servant to your neighborhood to help an employer out what would happen if every help wanted sign was answered by a child of god who purposed in their heart to go into a job to release the glory of god to honor their employer, to work as unto the Lord, to do such an excellent job that the entire standard of the work ethic of the workforce of the United States is raised to an entirely new level, justifying the amount of money people are demanding to get paid these days. What if the body of Christ could answer the call and do that? Right now, employers all over the nation have opened their doors. In our neighborhood right now, I can walk into a chain restaurant. did this the other day into a Cracker Barrel. I walk into a Cracker Barrel because Tracy loves Cracker Barrel. We're kind of fans. And so we walk into a Cracker Barrel. And they say, there's a 30-minute wait. And I go, yeah, there's like nobody in here. And the lady says, yeah, it's because we only have four people show up to work today. Four people. She goes, yeah, we've been closing at 4 o'clock in the afternoon because people got to go get their kids and go home. Cracker Barrel. I go down the road to Chili's, they gotta sign up. We'll give you 50 bucks if you'll just come interview for the job, not even take the job. I go next door to to Macaroni Grill, they're looking at people going, listen, we'll give you 200, 300 dollars just as a signing bonus, just to come on and work for a day. Plus, I'm, I'm sitting there looking at this and I finally looked at Tracy and I said, If we weren't traveling constantly and doing this stuff constantly, if I was here, I'd give time to these people just to help the businesses in our neighborhood and and do something to infiltrate the workforce with the body of Christ. I'm just saying, it feels like the church is missing out on an incredible opportunity where the workforce of the world, the, the influencers that have built businesses are opening the door saying, if you can fog a mirror, we'd love to have you here. I mean, you catch what I'm saying? There's an incredible opportunity that's being handed to the body of Christ right now that we're missing. I just feel like it's important to to ask the Lord. If you got the time to give to your community and to jump into a job, even if you don't need the money, hey, do it as a mission project. Do it as a mission project to serve businesses in your community so they don't have to close. Take the time to in influence the influencers in your community. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you something here tonight. I'm feeling like the buzz of God on this thing. There's something about this. There is an invitation right now. And I tell you, when this window closes, we might not see it ever open again. Not like this. So grab it. I'm not just talking to people in the room. I'm talking to people on live stream. Somebody out there goes, he's talking to me right now. You're exactly right. I am talking to you right now. I don't know which camera I should be pointing at. I just picked that one. <laughs> we were in, people are zealous. They're hungry for God. We were in, um, in Minneapolis uh, just a little while ago. And uh, the, in the church on Sunday morning, this pastor says, uh, man, we have weird things happening. People just getting up in the middle of the service, and they want to shout something out. I said, has it been good? He goes, yeah, for the most part. We got young people getting up, prophesying, giving words of knowledge, detailed things. He goes, yeah, and then the other day we had this one lady get up, and she was going to say, if we don't get on our face and pray more, God's going to come in and write Ichabod all over this church. That was the intention. On Sunday morning she stands up and goes, If we don't get up and pray more, if we don't get on our face and pray more, God's gonna come in and write Michelob all over this church. <laughs> I was like, is he gonna do is he gonna do that in green neon letters? <laughs> Might actually grow the church. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> so people are zealous and in their zeal and their passion, they're going, We want answers want answers for what's going on in this world today. I did too. I wanted answers. I wanted to say, God, I I, want to know, how do we move forward from this? It feels like the healing movement has taken a hit because of this virus. And at the same time, it feels like the uh, the, uh, um, prophetic movement has taken a hit because of the whole political situation. And I'm sitting there watching these two major movements take major hits. And I'm going, God, how do we move forward? And I feel like the Lord keeps saying the same thing back to me. The only way the body of Christ moves forward is in humility. In humility. There's no room for arrogance. There's a big difference between arrogance and confidence. Confidence is partnering with God, knowing that he is the victory, has the answer, all of that. Arrogance is is when we, we pretty much... Uh, put forth a, uh, a condescending perspective, uh, our own perspective of how things ought to be. And I don't think I ever want to come across like that. And so tonight, I'm going to give you a, a word in confidence. There's nothing arrogant about it because this is something that God is taking me on a journey of, right? Understand, I, I'm going to be learning tonight right along with you. Everything I'm talking about tonight, we're going to be learning together. So I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching at me. Sometimes when we get up here and minister, and Brother Clark knows what I'm talking about, we preach what we know, and we preach what we need. And it's really up to you to figure out the difference. (laughs) But I'm telling you tonight, everything I'm telling you, I need, all right? And so tonight, if it resonates with you, and if you need it too, then at the end of the evening, we'll give you a chance to respond to it. If you've got Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 4. I want to take you on a bit of a journey sort of a field trip for your brain tonight. Genesis chapter 4 tells the story of two brothers and the first church service on record. The two brothers are Adam and Eve's two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel go to worship God, and each of them brings an offering to the Lord. Uh, Cain brings an offering of, of asparagus, cucumbers, whatever. Like, who really wants that, right? And, and, and Cain, Abel brings an offering of a lamb. Uh, he, he has nurtured this. He's cared for it. There is sacrifice attached to Abel's offering. There's no sacrifice attached to Cain's offering. And so in Genesis chapter 4, starting around verse 8 and 9, God takes and, and begins to talk to Cain. He says, Cain, why are you so downcast? Why are you so angry? He says, um, uh, 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 sin is crouching at your door. It's a fascinating phrase that God tells Abel. Sin is crouching at your door. What God doesn't say to Abel is sin is inside of you because of what your parents did. see, a lot of people even now under the new covenant wrestle with this thing called a sin nature. People say, well, don't I have a sin nature? If you want one. You can have one if you want one. The door represents a barrier, an authority over which you have the power of choice. You get to choose what you let in the door. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in. And we'll break bread together. We'll build relationship because that's what he's interested in. Listen, God is building something here. He's building family. He's not just building a crowd, a congregation. And that's not what he's doing. He's building a family. If God was building something other than family, he would not have called himself father. So God comes and he has a conversation with Cain. Cain I see that you're angry. I can see what's in your heart because I'm looking at your countenance. And I want you to know something's up. Sin's crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. What do we let into our lives? You have the choice of Christ. You have the choice of sin. The nature you let in becomes the nature that ultimately impacts and affects your identity. But can I tell you something about your sin nature? It got nailed to the cross, buried with Christ, and when Jesus raised to newness of life, he didn't give you a brand new sin nature. You just got to know this, all right? You say, well, how come I want to sin? You have a choice. And if you watch somebody else do something, and they seem to enjoy it, then you copy what they do, pretty soon that sin habit becomes a sin desire, and now sin now has the authority to lie to you and say, you can't get away from this chain because it's just your nature. But it's not. If any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Not with a new sin nature. You say, but I can sin. Doesn't that mean I have a sin nature? No. No. Adam and Eve could sin. Did they have sin natures? No. They were made not just good, but very good. Just because you have the ability to sin doesn't mean you have the nature to sin. You say, well, well, I, I don't know. I just feel like this has always been the way I am. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Listen, if all you think you are is a sinner saved by grace, you'll spend your entire life just sinning by faith. What's faith? Faith is an exercise in belief. And when you believe that you are something that God says you're not, you'll return to that false belief as a reference point for how to do life. And God is severing you from that false belief. I hope tonight you begin to realize you're actually the righteousness of God in Christ. He knew you before he formed you. And what he knew, what he has always known about you is the truth of your identity. It's who you really are. And you've got one assignment in this life, just one. That is to find out what God believes about you and agree with that. And sometimes to see who you truly are simply requires you letting go of everything that you are not letting go of all the lies and labels that you've ever believed about yourself and when you begin to start doing that you start to let those things go and you go god i'm just going to choose to believe what you say about me and soon sin begins to lose its ability to lie to you anymore Unless you believe what God believes about you, you'll never let the Holy Spirit convince you of your identity. You'll talk God out of who you are. But the reality is, is he's never going to change his mind about you. I just feel like this is for somebody tonight. He made up his mind about you long before you had the chance to impress him or disappoint him. Did you know that? And God's not looking at your behavior to try to see whether or not he's going to love you. Jesus was the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. In other words, God didn't suddenly react to the mess we made. He created the solution before we ever created the problem. This is just the nature of what he's like. This is for somebody in the room tonight. So God comes to Cain and says, sin is at the door, its desire is for you, but you've got to master it. Now Cain... The problem is is that God seems to have rejected Cain's offering and accepted Abel's offering. He doesn't reject Cain. Cain's got another shot at it. He can go back and do this again because God is calling us higher. Cain just doesn't like the fact that it seems like for a moment his brother got more favor because of of, of this offering situation. So Cain leaves the presence of the Lord or the voice of the Lord or the conversation with God to walk out into the field and have a conversation with his brother. When he gets out there, we have no idea what they said. But in the conversation, something happens and Cain kills his brother. Now God comes to, to Cain and he's going to have another conversation with him. So I want you just to see this. The very first church service ever in history, on record, results in 50% of the congregation murdering the other 50% of the congregation over an offering. So, so the church is off to a and start, right? Can only go up from here. Now God comes to Cain after he's killed his brother, and he says, "Uh, Cain, where's your brother? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? God essentially says, you know what? We're not playing this game. And he cuts straight to the chase. And this is what he says in verse 10. Look up on the screen with me. He says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. I want you to think about this phrase. The voice of your brother's blood. Did you know that you have a voice in your blood? You do. See, the Bible says that life is in the blood. The Bible also says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. The Bible tells us that out of the abundance of your heart, which circulates your blood, your mouth speaks. So you can tell what's in your blood. By what comes out of your mouth. You have a voice in your blood. And, it, and God goes on to say the voice of your brother's blood is crying out from the ground. In the next verse, this is what he says. Look at this. He says, you are cursed from the ground, from the earth. For the earth has opened its mouth to receive the blood of your brother from your hand. So I want you to see what God does here. First thing is, God never says that he's cursing Abel or cursing Cain. God doesn't say he's doing any cursing here at all. God simply acts as a messenger to tell Cain that something has been set in motion and he's giving him the mechanics of it. Cain and Abel had a conflict. Something that Abel said had an effect on this earth. Something that Abel spoke released from his blood, the earth responded to. Isn't that interesting? That's a fascinating thing when you stop and think about it. And so God says to Cain, Cain, essentially, you're going to walk on an earth that's mad at you all the days of your life, which is a really bad thing to say to a farmer. See, in this moment, Abel's blood releases a curse over his brother. It's actually going to follow him. It's almost as if the earth is bound to obey the voice of Abel's blood. How in the world did that happen? Well, the very first, how many of you have never heard me teach anything before? Like, never. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. All right. Let me lay a foundation for you here. Let me tell you how you got here, okay? When God creates. When God creates everything, the very first thing that God does is He creates a dead environment earth, water, etc. And then He does something amazing. He speaks or releases His word into the substance of that environment that He's made. When He does that, in that environment, from within that environment, comes life that's meant to live and move and have its being in that environment. So, this is the way it works. When God wants to make fish, he talks to water. He says this phrase, let the sea bring forth, and everything that's meant to live and move and have its being in that environment comes forth. When God wants to make plants and animals, he says, let the earth bring forth, and everything that's meant to live and move and have its being in that environment comes forth. Then God changes the pattern and does this. He says this, let us... Make man in our image. Now, the us and the our he's talking about is not angels because you're not made in the image and likeness of an angel. This is God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, having an internal dialogue. Why is that important? Because the environment he speaks to tells you where you're supposed to draw your life from. So when he makes fish, he speaks to the environment of water. When he makes plants and animals, he speaks to the environment of the earth. When he made man, he spoke to the environment of himself. What does that tell you about where we're supposed to live and move and have our being within? You were built to be in the presence of God. God takes and scoops the mud of earth together and forms man, lifts him to his face, and the breath of God has a word. It goes like this, Yahweh. And the breath or the spirit of God collides with the dirt and the dust of earth, and man breathes his very first breath in, which is the Holy Spirit, by the way. Our very first inhale is the spirit of God himself. And man opens his eyes. Our very first conscious experience we have as humanity is to open our eyes to behold the face of a father who absolutely adores us. That is how you got here in a face-to-face encounter with God. That's where we're meant to live and move and have our being. The very first assignment that God gives man is this and it seems like something you just pass over really quickly but it's not God says to Adam name the animals now in Hebrew culture to name something means more than to just give it something to be called it literally means to assign nature to it so what God is saying to Adam is this You know how I created by opening my mouth and releasing a word that produced life? Well, you're made in my image and likeness. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to reflect that. We're going to start with the animals. I want you to open your mouth and release a word that releases nature into the world. To actually open your mouth and declare something that tells this world how it is supposed to be. The very First assignment we had. How could that be accomplished if the earth wasn't supposed to obey your voice? See, I, I have a—it's not a theory. We'll prove it with Scripture tonight. I think that there is a voice in your blood, and the earth is listening. And in the last two thousand years, one thing we haven't learned to do very well is steward the sound in our blood. If we jump forward to Romans chapter eight and starting in verse 19, we're gonna make a major leap here. In Romans chapter eight, starting in verse 19 says this, creation is longing for the revelation of the sons of God. Earnestly awaiting the revelation of the children of God, sons and daughters of God. In other words, creation is waiting for us to get a clue as to who we are. God has placed literally within the environment and the atmosphere that we live in a revelation of our identity. So this earth knows who you are before you do. And it's listening for those who release the sound of heaven from their blood. In other words, you've let heaven so deeply into you. You've let the Holy Spirit, the breath of the Spirit, so deeply into you that it's now saturated your blood, and as you open your mouth, you can't help but release words of, as Jesus said, spirit and life. That's exactly what he did. He said, my words to you are spirit and life. And 1 John 4, 17 says, as he is, so are we in this world. So he defines our identity. His divinity defines our humanity. And creation is literally waiting for us to get a clue. Why? Well, the next verse tells us. In verse 20, look at this. It says, creation, this world was subjected to futility. Now, what was the futility? It's as if God looked at the earth and said, you're going to have to obey these folks, made in my image and likeness. And the earth is like, You know that's going to go wrong right that's the futility of it like this may be good for a while but you know that the potential for that to go wrong is really huge god's like yeah but this is the way it's going to be says creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him speaking of god who subjected it why did he do this in hope that creation itself would be set free From its slavery to corruption. This is an odd phrase. Creation is enslaved? Yes. Let's say that, Pastor Penn, let's say that I am his slave. That simply means this. I have no will of my own. I have to do what his will is. Now, how do I know what his will is? I have to listen for his word. As he speaks, I know his will. And his word becomes what I do, right? So that's what it means. When I have no will of my own, I've given over to the will of another. I've got to know what is in his heart by what comes out of his mouth. Creation is enslaved to us, even in a corrupted state. Why? Because you're made in the image of God. You're more power than you know. You're more powerful than you think. And your words carry more weight than you can ever begin to imagine. So creation will be freed. This is the destiny. This is the goal. This is what God's put out there. That creation will be freed from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. All right? So I'm going to turn the fire hose up here just a little bit. Right, Just in case I've already outtaught your ability to take notes, okay? I'm just we play a little game. It's like, let's see if I can teach faster than you, you can take notes. Right? This, this is where we're going to turn the fire hose up just a little bit here. People often ask, what is the glory of God? What's the glory of God? Moses went to the mountain three times. On the third visit, he says this to God. He makes a request, show me your glory. You remember this? Do you remember God's response? This is what God says back to him. I'm going to make all of my goodness to pass before you. So God defines his glory as his manifest goodness or his goodness on display. And then he goes on to tell us a little about, about his goodness. He says this, I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Now, when God says that, it's kind of like him saying this. You want to see my glory? My glory is my goodness. And I just want to warn you before you see my goodness, I'm going to be gooder than you think I can. My goodness is going to offend you. That's why he says, just heads up, I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. In other words, I'll be good to whoever I want, and I don't have to ask anybody's permission. Do you know how good God can be? God is so good, he can even be better than his own word. Ooh, it got quiet in here. How about here? Here's a verse. Here's a verse. This is the words of Jesus. If you deny me before men, I will, not might, will. It's an absolute. I will deny you before my father. It sounds like it's an absolute. I mean, I remember hearing that. That was the message at every youth camp I went to growing up. And I'm thinking to myself, I know I've done some denying, either in word, in deed, in my head. And so at every altar call, I didn't care if they said this altar call is only for Chinese women age 32 and up. I'm like, I'm there. I'm like, I don't care. I got to get right. Okay. So, I mean, that was me. I was terrified. Why? Because it was an absolute. And the Bible was a legal document that couldn't be bank couldn't be broken and and I absolutely believe that but then I read this word about Jesus saying if you deny me before men I'll deny you before my father and then one day Jesus walks up to Peter and he says this phrase to Peter Peter Satan has asked to sift you like wheat now if if I'm Peter I'm like you said no right Because this is weird. Like, why are you talking to the devil about me? Like, what? This is just bizarre. And why are you even telling me? Now I got all this anxiety. Like, what's happening right now? I don't know what's going on in Peter's head, but, you know. (laughs) Jesus, this is what Jesus says. He goes, I'm going to pray for you. And when you return, strengthen your brothers. Think about those two phrases. When you return, that's restoration. Strengthen your brothers, that implies influence, which is leadership. So Jesus looks at Peter and he sees a restored leader before he's even fallen. But what did Peter do? He broke the law. That is the word of the Lord. Peter denies Jesus. Not once, not twice, three times. He's a triple denier. That would pretty much seal the deal. And Jesus doesn't even seem to notice the denial. Why? Because he's so sure of Peter's identity, he's not gonna let Peter's sin argue him out of whether or not he can love and accept him. Why? Because he's already said, I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion, and I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, deal with it. The last part's my phrase, but that's what I hear him saying, right? In other words, I'll be as good as I want to be, and I don't have to ask anybody's permission. That ought to give all of us just a little bit of room to breathe, right? Which is like, wow, how good can he be? When Moses comes down from that experience with the glory of God, he is physically shining so much that they have to cover him up with a sheet, with a veil, to actually have a conversation with him. What does the glory of God, an experience of a revelation of the goodness of God do to a guy under the old covenant, it literally causes him to shine. Isaiah 60 says, Arise, shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Behold, darkness covers the earth, deep darkness the people, but the glory of God will rise upon you. Nations will stream to the brightness of your arising. You say, But Bill, God says he won't give his glory to another. That's true, and it would apply to you if you were another. But you're not. Why? Because 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 says by his doing you are in Christ. How in are you? John 14, 20, the most mind-melting scripture, I think, in the entire Bible. It just, it intoxicates me with goodness every time I think about it, every time I read it. That's why I have t-shirts with it. I'm just like, I'm undone by this verse, and I feel like I will be for all eternity. And this is Jesus. He says this, in that day you will know I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. No distance, no separation between us and God. That's how he sees you. Wow. <laughs> Ooh. That's why the gospel is such good news. <laughs> if you don't hear anything else I say tonight, just this, this is the phrase that goes through my head hundreds of times a day. No distance, no separation. When I think it, when I hear it, it makes my heart so glad that I rewind it and play it again. And it just keeps going over and over. And it's it's the phrase that's probably deepest in my blood. No distance, no separation. I say, how how, how do I know? What do you mean I'm supposed to carry the glory of God? Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 and 21 says this. Now to him who's able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all you could ask or think according to the power at work within you To him be glory in the church. So you and I were created, listen to this, to put the manifest goodness of God on display. That's what the earth is listening for. A revelation of the wonderful works of God, the goodness of God, the majesty of God, the nature, the character of God. I want you to think of this. When the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church in Acts chapter two, and they all start speaking in other tongues, heads exploding on fire, they spill out, that's what I think is happening, by the way, I don't think it's just two little flames just hovering up above everybody's head like it showed in the comic books when you were in Sunday school. No, what would make Christians suddenly run out of the room outside into the streets. If I look at you and your head just caught on fire and you look at me and my head caught on fire and now words are coming out of my mouth that everybody, no matter their language, can understand and those words are speaking the goodness of God. That's exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit impacted the body of Christ and the river of living water that spilled out of us was a a waterfall, a torrent of the goodness of God. When we get filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not to make us more judgmental. It's meant to unlock a reservoir of eternal goodness inside of you that spills out from your blood and rocks this planet. If we go to Hebrews chapter 12 starting in verse 22 there's this declaration we're going to come full circle here in this message now this declaration goes like this you have come to mount zion to the city of the living god the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. It goes on to talk about the general assembly, the church of the firstborn, registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, and the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And then it finishes with this phrase. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant of the sprinkled blood, which speaks a better word than the blood of who? Abel. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, Bill. Jesus and Abel, aren't they like more alike than different? Because, I mean, they were both murdered and they were kind of innocent. Yeah, that's true. They were murdered by people who should have loved them and protected them. Yes, that's true. They were killed for doing something righteous. Yes, that's true. What's the difference then in what their blood said? See, I, I don't know what Abel said. I don't know what was in Abel's heart. In Matthew 23, Jesus actually calls Abel righteous. I don't know what was in this righteous man's heart, but I can tell you this much, if I gave God an offering that blessed him and somebody in my church came against me and killed me for it, I might get offended. I might feel a little judgment, and I might feel justified in my judgment and my offense. And I think that's kind of where Abel was at. I think he felt justified in his judgment and in his offense. I don't know what he said, but I can see how the earth responded. Because the earth reflected what was in Abel's heart by releasing a curse over the guilty man that followed him all the days of his life. Jesus, how do we know what was in his blood? He's hanging on the cross. He's literally bleeding out, being murdered by his own creation. And this is what he says from his blood. He looks at the people responsible for him dying, and he says this phrase, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. The final act of grace from Jesus on the cross is to forgive our ignorance. Forgive our ignorance. Forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And and this is not not a, a heartfelt, loving son appealing to a reluctant father to forgive an unforgivable humanity in their darkest moment. This is Jesus who said, I only say what I hear the father say. So when he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they were doing He's telling us at your darkest moment, at your moment of of most confusing, sinful evil, his initiation is grace. His release over you is grace. Do you understand? His grace can clean you up faster than you can mess yourself up. His grace is faster, bigger, and stronger, and more powerful than your sin, and it always will be. That's why while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait until you got your act together. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us this. God was in Christ reconciling or making at one the world to himself. And this is how he did it. By not counting your transgressions or your sin against you. It's not that God looked around and said, let me find some people that aren't sinning and reconcile them. Let me find the good ones and reconcile them. Now, this is the way God did it. He looked at a world that was filled with sin and said, you know, here's the goodness we're going to put on display. What if we just don't allow their sin to be put in their account? So when you check your sin balance in your eternal account because of what Christ has done, you surrender your life to Christ and his blood has cleansed you from all sin, you know what? Your account balance is zero. The the same as Jesus. (laughs) That's what qualifies you to be the righteousness of God in Christ. This is how good God wanted to be to you. In Christ, in Jesus, he comes down to the edge of the Jordan River, and John the Baptist, who's been baptizing people, looking for the Messiah. By the way, baptism, John invents this. Can't find it anywhere before this. He just basically says, you know, we're going to find the Messiah one way. I'm just going to dunk these people one at a time. (laughs) Boom, boom. Nope, not you. Moving on. He just keeps doing this. Eventually, he's going to provoke Jesus to show up. He knows who Jesus is. Here comes Jesus down to the Jordan, finally shows up. And John looks at him, and these words spill out of John's mouth. Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Now, we've heard that phrase so much, we don't maybe fully understand how crazy that is, how offensive that is. Let me break it down. John looks at Jesus, and I wonder if John himself maybe had no clue as to what just spilled out of his mouth. Behold, look, the lamb. First thing he says is lamb. Lamb would, would mean sacrifice. Well, who sacrifices? Sinners sacrifice. Why? To deal with their sin. Behold, the sacrificial lamb of God, God's not a sinner. He doesn't need to sacrifice anything. But it's even more offensive than that. Because the person that's coming down here, this is a human being. If God was going to do a sacrifice for sin, he most certainly wouldn't make it a human sacrifice unless he determined in his heart to be so good to humanity that he decided to sacrifice himself. You say, but I thought it was his son. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 says this, that the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, dwelt in Christ in a body. That's why 2 Corinthians 5 says God was literally in Christ reconciling the world to himself. In other words, hanging on the cross there, that was Father, Son, Holy Spirit, fully united in your reconciliation, becoming himself this sacrifice for your sin, not just for your sin, but to shut down every religious work that you would ever do to try to somehow get closer to a God who is determined to make you his home. You're not just the home of God, you're the temple of God. In other words, because of Christ in you, the hope of glory, your identity is literally a living, breathing, heart-beating place of worship to God. You are meant to carry, to release the goodness of the glory of God into a world that's so confused about what he's like. This is the mandate right now in my life. As we're coming out of this COVID thing, I'm sitting there going, God, what do we do? How do we move forward? And I feel like God is saying, steward the sound in your blood. Because Abel, when he dies, whatever his blood said, released the generational curse into the earth that the earth responded to. When Jesus, the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world, spills his blood into that same earth, his blood, the voice of his blood, didn't release a generational curse. Come on. It released a generational grace that went all the way from Adam and Eve all the way down here to Penyan, New York tonight. Hallelujah. Listen, if the blood of a goat Under an old covenant system, could cover the sins of a nation for an entire year. What do you think the blood of the Lamb of God actually did? You might be more forgiven than you thought. You might be more saved than you could ever wrap your mind around. There's a sound in your blood, and the earth is listening. We released it tonight in worship, and I love it. It's beautiful, but we've got to realize what exactly we're doing here. When we grab a hold of this, worship's going to take on a whole new meaning. Let me tell you how important this sound is. In the last year, year and a half, this nation is more politically and spiritually divided than ever, and our voice of judgment and offense has gotten loud. If you've been online in the last year, we are loud loud. We are loud with judgment, and we are loud with offense, most often at each other. And I got to tell you, I think the earth is listening. Let me give you some examples. Uh, We live in Florida, Tracy and I do, and in Florida we have hurricanes. We get one every three or four years. They're not a lot of fun to go through. We've gone through them before. Not a big deal, though. It's like the super slowest moving train ever. I mean, you got plenty of time to drive away, usually, right? Uh, But as Floridians, we're a bunch of pirates, and so it's like, come on, bring it on. We just do that. It's weird. We get a good hurricane about every three to four years. Did you know that in 2020, they've been tracking hurricanes in the United States for 101 years. In 2020, guess how many hurricanes made landfall in the United States of America? We blew the old record out of the water. Literally. Twelve. That's never happened before. One day there were two hurricanes in the Gulf at the same time. I literally watched a meteorologist go, yeah, we didn't think that was possible. California has been on fire for as long as any of us can remember. Hey, last year, Texas froze over. Every square mile of Texas had snow for the first time in history. We just went through the hottest July in recorded history ever. What is going on? A lot of prophets have said, Bill, I think this is judgment. I say, the judgment of who? They say, well, the judgment of God. Except this. Psalm 115 verse 16 says this, The heavens were made for God, the earth he has entrusted to the children of men. I think it's judgment all right. I just don't think it's God. I think it's us. We still haven't learned to steward the sound of our blood by taking the responsibility to let the Holy Spirit move through us to release the goodness of God into the earth. What if... What if global warming has nothing to do with science at all? What if global warming is a spiritual condition where the earth that God has made is responding to the rage in the hearts of people made in his image and likeness and is just heating up? What if everything that's going wrong in this earth could literally be set right by us beginning to steward the sound of our blood, by releasing the goodness of God into the earth? Tracy and I were just in uh, Minnesota, and we had got off the plane. We'd go into this guy's farm. He had all these chairs set up outside, and uh, I'd never been there before. Uh, He'd never had a meeting like this before. Tracy had put out online. She said, if you want us to come and do an unusual meeting in a yard, a barn, a shed, we'd love to do that. And so we ended up doing, like, 18 meetings in 17 days in 17 different locations. It was crazy. First meeting was this one. And we get there, and I say to this guy, his name's Ivan, I said, Ivan, are, are you afraid like it's going to rain tonight? Because summertime you get rain up north. And he goes, we're in a drought. Man, we haven't rained in two and a half months here. Don't expect any rain this weekend either. So I talked to these guys and I said, listen, here's the deal. If you've let judgment and offense into your blood in this last year, spiritually, politically, it doesn't matter, and you feel justified, you feel justified in your offense and so you've been holding on to it, I'm going to challenge you to do something tonight. Let's just let it go. And so all these farmers that are sitting here all around this yard, God just starts moving, touching them. Next thing you know, hands are going up, voices raised in worship to God. They let go of their judgment. They let go of their offense. We finish the meeting. The next morning we wake up. It's raining. It rains for two days, and everywhere we drive from Minnesota to South Dakota and Wisconsin in a drought-ridden territory, we're driving with the wipers on crazy i looked at tracy and i said hey maybe this isn't a theory maybe this actually is true maybe releasing grace over the land it's like the land is listening the earth the atmosphere is listening for the voice of your blood to be released and here's the thing I think the earth is listening for the resonant frequency of heaven. It's like looking through all of these voices of judgment and offense, and it's listening for somebody who will just push it all aside to release the kingdom into the atmosphere. I call a spiritual father of mine who just went home to be with the Lord. His name is Jack Taylor. And I said, Jack, I've just been watching the news. It's a great way to lose your joy, by the way. I said, Jack, what's going on in the world? It's gone crazy. I need a word from God. I just got to call my papa and just get a word from the Lord. And I'd hear these rustling of papers. I said, what are you doing? He goes, I'm just opening the Bible to Matthew just to check real quick. Yep, it still says seek first the kingdom. He said, you you got me so riled up, I thought maybe the Lord changed it to seek second the kingdom. I said, Jack, I don't want to put my head in the sand. I don't want to be ignorant of what's going on in the world. (laughs) He said, Bill, it says this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things. In other words, everything that you feel like needs to be dealt with will get dealt with. It's the greatest weapon we have is to seek first the kingdom of God to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I said, Jack, but there's evil in the world, and we got to fight it. Jack's like, yeah, unless it's already been defeated on the cross, and we just don't know it. (laughs) Ah, man. Pushing back on me at every turn. (laughs) Jack, there's evil in the world. He said, Bill, what do you think? You think when Jesus was on this earth, there were conspiracies going on? Yeah, there actually were. If you've read history, you'd know that there's conspiracies miles deep. I mean, world rulers were literally stabbing each other in the back in Jesus' day. And, and the religious system and the political system at that time was in cahoots with each other. Nobody ever uses the word cahoots anymore. It's a good word. should bring that one back. The, the religious and the political system, they're running in tandem with each other in that day. There was so much conspiracy going on behind the scenes, and guess what? Jesus knew all of it. He wasn't ignorant of any of it. So, when the guy who knows everything opens his mouth to speak to the masses, what does he expose? He doesn't go into a a, a diatribe to be the marketing voice for the works of darkness. What Jesus does is says this, the kingdom is like, but Jesus, don't you see what's happening? The kingdom is like, have you considered the lilies? If I'm sitting there and I just got done watching the news, I'd be thinking, this guy has no idea what's going on in the world. But when the guy who knows everything about everything opens his mouth, what's the sound that comes out? The kingdom is like. It's about the goodness of God. It's about your father. It's about the joy of the Lord. It's about the grace of God. It's about the overflowing, overwhelming goodness of a father who loves us more than we can wrap our mind around. The kingdom is like. I look at Jesus and he's in the boat. Wind and waves are threatening to kill everybody. But Jesus is taking a nap. And the disciples wake Jesus up by this phrase. Don't you care that we're going to die? And this is what circumstances do. When things that could cause us to fear raise their head in our lives, it causes us to question the goodness of God. What does Jesus do? He gets up and he releases something. He says, peace, be still. He opened his mouth and released the word into the world and something happened. One day, Jesus is walking along by a fig tree, and he decides to sacrifice a fig tree to show the disciples the power of their words, both blessing and cursing. And he curses a fig tree that's not bearing fruit out of season. And the fig tree withers and dies. And suddenly, they get an object lesson in the power of blessings and curses. One day, Jesus is walking along, and he says this phrase. I tell you, you see that mountain over there? If you say to that mountain, say to that mountain, be removed... Cast into the sea, don't doubt in your heart, but believe the things you speak will come to pass. You will have what you say. Jesus wouldn't have said this if he hadn't already set up a mountain-moving faith formula, in a sense, in Isaiah. In Isaiah, there's a beautiful scripture that goes like this. You shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth before you. There will be shouts of joy, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Why does anything clap when we finally get it right? (laughs) So as we are going toward a mountain, getting ready to release something from our voice, God has already, back in Isaiah, positioned our heart. This is the posture of your heart. You shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. Let's break this down. What is the joy of the Lord? Well, the joy of the Lord is your what? So the strength of the joy of God is got to be what propels you. In other words, I'm not going to let my life be propelled by fear, by offense, by worry, I'm not gonna let those things have the power to propel or direct my life. I'm gonna move by the strength of the joy of the Lord. The Bible says that for the joy set before him, Jesus actually was able to endure the cross. It's deeper than happiness. It's getting a glimpse of the glory of God that's meant to be released upon you and to pull it from a future time period into the moment you're standing in, in the middle of whatever circumstance you're in. It's not, it's not taking the bad circumstances out of the way. Everything, everything in, listen, catch this with me. Jesus says in John 16, 33, he says, These things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. I'd have loved it if he would have stopped right there. But he doesn't. He goes on to say this in this world, you will have trouble. Think about this. That's future tense. We'll have trouble. I would like it if he would have said, I'm gonna go ahead and take all that trouble out of the way, but he doesn't. He said, Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What's that? That's past tense. In this world, you future tense will have trouble. Be of good cheer. I, past tense, have already overcome the world. What is he saying? He's saying, I've already been in your future. I've seen every challenge you will ever face, and I've placed within you everything necessary to walk through it and out the other side in victory. That's the deal. So when he says, you shall go out with joy, doesn't, he doesn't miss the front part, and be led forth with peace what is peace peace is a person it's jesus the prince of peace the one who actually calms the wind and the waves goes before you so when joy propels you and peace leads you what's the result the mountains and the hills break forth before you the circumstances that could be obstacles in your life suddenly become opportunities and open doors they break forth into shouts of joy what is happening The joy that propelled you, the earth starts reflecting. I'm in a Walmart one day in Maui. I used to live in Hawaii, and I'm standing there, and I was just, just minding my own business, hanging out, and suddenly I'm thinking about the joy of the Lord. And I'm pondering this thing of, in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. And I thought to myself, have I ever experienced fullness of joy? I've had moments, but what about fullness? fullness being so overflowing that there's no room for anything else left and I'm thinking about this and I'm just, people are just in front of me hanging out, they're talking and and they're taking their time and the lady that's standing in front of me in line, she goes like this (laughs) I thought that was interesting I'm not saying a word I'm just thinking, thank you thank you Lord for your joy, thank you for the gift of your joy being poured out upon us and all of a sudden, she just starts laughing, like belly laughing. And now she's doubled over laughing. And she turns around, looks at me, and goes, I am sorry. I have no idea what's so funny. I don't know what's going on right now. I don't even know this person. And suddenly, I feel the Holy Spirit. I'm not even laughing. I'm just staring at her. I feel the Holy Spirit say to me, pay attention. Because you're made in my image and likeness. And what you meditate on, others will manifest around you. So when I see this world going crazy, I can tell what we're meditating on. The body of Christ in the last year has let judgment and offense into our heart. And I think we need a fresh divine blood transfusion to set the sound of heaven back in our blood again. To let go of offense and judgment whether it feels justified or not. And to say, God, fill us with your sound again. And this is the sense that I'm getting tonight. I've just been feeling this all day. I've preached this message a time or two in the last few months, just talking more and more about the sound in your blood. But this is a part I've actually never gone into until just recently. When the Holy Spirit comes upon the church, one of the things he did is he gave them a sound. He gave them wind, and he gave them fire, and he gave them a sound. And I feel like one of the things that the body of Christ has been neglecting lately is the sound of the spirit being sung and released as a sound in the body. It's almost like I go to churches these days and it, I, can, I can tell they're spirit filled because their mission statement says so. But we all sing the same songs and we all do it the same way. But you know one thing I don't hear a whole lot of these days? A fresh outpouring of tongues in the body of Christ. A fresh outpouring of the gift of tongues actually. I feel like tonight maybe God wants to give some of you new tongues and wants to reawaken that gift of tongues in you. I've taken the, just driving down the road and just start speaking, praying, singing in tongues. You know the funny thing that happens is the atmosphere in my car changes. Funny how that works. It's kind of strange. It's almost like time starts to slow down and you start thinking, Oh my goodness, what, what's happening here? I'm stepping into a whole different realm. And God has released, released through his Holy Spirit upon us a sound. And I feel like in this day, we need to rediscover the sound. Not just the sound of tongues, but words that flow from us to actually release the goodness of God into this earth and into this atmosphere.